All right, we're going to look tonight, part nine, Revelations Revealed, six angels and seven bowls, the seven bowls of judgment. We're getting into some very somber moments in the book of Revelation. Only God can tell the end from the beginning. Only God can say, this is what's going to happen in the end before the beginning begins. And so before this great tribulation begins, God has given us the book of Revelation to show us how it's all going to play out. And I tell you tonight, it seems to me that we're right at the door. And so let's look at it. Father, we just thank you for the Word of God, for the book of Revelation, for this unveiling of what has formerly been hidden. We thank you, Lord, for the apocalypso, the revelation, the unveiling of the mystery of the end times. Thank you, Lord, that you cared enough about us to tell us what would be coming during this crucial time of the tribulation period as civilization comes to a grinding halt and time ends as we know it. We ask you, Lord, to open our hearts and open our understanding and speak to us tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them this is going to be good. Let's look at this. Last time we saw the arrival of the second beast called the false prophet, whose role is to point the world to Antichrist. This false prophet called the second beast is, in essence, the Antichrist, John the Baptist. You know, the devil doesn't have anything new. He's an imposter and he's a duplicator. He doesn't come up with anything original. He copies God. Jesus had John the Baptist prepare the way of the Lord, make his way straight. The Antichrist will have the false prophet. And the false prophet is the Antichrist, John the Baptist. We also saw that this false prophet for the Antichrist requires the world to receive the mark of the beast, which is 666, on either their hand or their forehead. Now, we talked about that last time, and I will cover that a few more times. Next time we're going to see a lot more about the arrival of Antichrist, how he rises out of the sea of humanity, how he seizes power of a ten-nation confederacy. I'm going to go into all of that week after next. But just keep in mind that one of the things the false prophet requires the world to do during the second half of the Great Tribulation is receive this damnable mark. If you get the mark, you're damned to hell. The Bible says lost forever. It is a very, very serious thing. Somebody came up to me last week and said, oh, I did move my hand across one of those scanners. I don't have it, do I? I said, no. The mark of the beast will happen three and a half years into the Great Tribulation. And believe me, it won't just be a hand scanner. It'll be a mark on the back of your hand or on your forehead. And it'll be very distinct. And those who are Christians, Tribulation saints, during that time period will know, don't take it. Now, next, John sees six angels, all with unique messages of warning and judgment. Now, I want you to notice in Revelations 14, verses 6 and 7, it says, And I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world 
to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Now notice, here is a great angel with a message to the entire world during the Great Tribulation period. Well, what is this angel's message? Fear God. He shouted, Give glory to Him, for the time has come when He will sit as judge. Worship Him who made the heavens, earth, sea, and all the springs of water. This angel's message is a gospel message. Think about it. Isn't it just like God, right in the middle of the most horrific time earth has ever seen, the mercy of God yet reaches out to the lost. And have you noticed, as I have, how incredibly supernatural this time period is? Angels, demons, cherubims, seraphims, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, this incredible spiritual activity happening in this spiritual dimension of life and the manifestations of that spiritual activity breaking out into the physical world that you and I see, hear, taste, touch, and smell. So this is a very, very supernatural time period. Now here comes the second angel, Revelations 14, 8. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen, that great city is fallen, because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Now what in the world does this mean? What is Babylon? Babylon represents the city and the system and the regime of the final time. We will see much more on this in chapter 17 and 18. Chapter 17 and 18 are mind blowers. Don't miss them. But Babylon is likely both a physical place and a spiritual condition of rebellion against God. When you talk about the wicked world system, John said all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, what the world system is comprised of, that's Babylon. That's Babylon-like, okay? Babylon first appears in the Bible in Genesis 11, where we find a guy named Nimrod leading the charge to build the Tower of Babel. You remember that story? And the Hebrew name for Babel is Babylon. God thwarted the effort, and if you can remember, he confused the people's languages. They're sitting there talking to each other, putting brick on brick. This thing is going way up into the sky, and all of a sudden, what would you say? I couldn't understand you. And all of a sudden, nobody could understand anybody because God looked down and said, we've got to stop them. And so what did he do? He confused their languages so that all of a sudden, you can't say, hand me another brick because I can't understand you. He confused their language. Well, what do you do when the language is confused? The building project is destroyed. Why did God do that? Because that tower represented pride and rebellion against the will of God. Now, as for the place, ancient Babylon was located, and get this, this is going to matter in a couple of weeks big time, so I want you to lodge this in your mind. Ancient Babylon was located where present-day southern Iraq is now. The Bible predicts that Iraq, are you ready? The Bible predicts that Iraq will flourish and once again become a major city on the world stage. 
Have you ever stopped to wonder why in the world there was so much emotion, so much hostility, so much anger aimed at that war? Well, I'm not saying the war, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but let me tell you, that geographical location is red hot in the last days. And there is a purpose for it. According to Scripture, it's going to flourish again. You watch, it will. It could be that the Babylon John sees is that revived city where the infamous Iraq war has taken place. Keep that in mind. Now here comes the third angel. This third angel has this message. A third angel followed them shouting. Notice how these angels are shouting. Here's what he shouts. Anyone who worships the beast and his statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath. And then he says something hard to wrap your mind around. They will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. Who? Those who receive the mark. I know that's a heavy word, but I want you to remember what I shared with you a few weeks ago. Abraham said to God, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? It's a rhetorical question. God must judge sin. And I've shown you, and I'll show you more in this series, that if this world, this end time world, these end time civilizations were left on earth for a thousand years, they would not repent. And so here is an angel going through the tribulation period, shouting to the inhabitants of the earth, don't accept the mark. Don't take the mark. It's a warning. One of the angels says, fear God. Here this one says, don't accept the mark. Shun it. If you lose your life, lose it. But don't take this mark. The smoke of their torment, the angel says, will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night. And this is why we preach the gospel. And this is why you need to be very, very careful what you listen to, if what you're listening to is telling you that there are other ways to God but through Christ. Because this right here, this book of Revelation, this last book in God's Bible, tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is only one way to enter heaven with God's amen, and that is by the ink of the blood of the Lamb. And only the blood of the Lamb will save you from the judgment of God. You can receive God's love or you can receive God's judgment. That's the message. For they have worshipped the beast. This is why this terrible thing happens to these folks. They have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. So don't do it. Now, once again, God sternly warns against accepting the mark. To receive it is to perish eternally. Then the Holy Spirit speaks to those who will belong to the Lord during the great tribulation. And look what he says to these folks who have been born again during the tribulation. Verse 12, this means that God's holy people must endure persecution, patiently obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. Church, can I just talk real honestly to you right now for a moment? The America that I started preaching in when I was 18 years old, 38 years ago, the America that I started preaching in is not the same America it is today. And there is the creeping shadow of persecution 
beginning to walk across this country. And I'm going to tell you tonight, you're either in or you're out. If you're a believer, you're going to have to have a spine and endure some persecution. I never thought that I would see what I'm seeing now or preach in a time like I'm preaching now. But I am. And you probably never thought you would be a Christian in a time like this and have to take a stand like you're going to have to take. But if these people in this great tribulation that we will not be in, if they can take a stand and endure persecution and patiently obey the commands of the Lord to the death, then we can take a stand for Jesus Christ. Stand up, wise up, and speak up with all your might. And I've already had my times with God, and I've already made up my mind because I can feel it coming. My mind has been made up, and I have accepted that as a pastor and as a preacher, I'm going to experience persecution. Now, if I depart from the Word, I don't need to worry about it, but then I've got to face my God. I'd rather have His smile and your frown than your smile and His frown. And every one of you are going to have to make that decision. So let's move on. I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. He's saying to the tribulation saints, get ready to give your life up for the sake of Christ. In the closing verses of chapter 14, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is seen by John seated on a cloud. Have you ever been in a plane and looked out at those clouds and wished you could sit on one? I have. They look so puffy and so pretty and so welcoming. And, of course, we would go through it. But Jesus, the same one that walked on the water, can sit on them. And here's Jesus seated on a cloud. Then I saw a white cloud and seated on the cloud was somebody like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head, and watch this, a sharp sickle in his hand. Golden crown represents authority. The sickle not representing a good harvest, but representing one of judgment. The sickle in the hand of the one sitting on the cloud is the sickle of harvest, but not harvest for those going to heaven, but harvest for those coming under judgment. What is about to take place is the answer to the prayers of the martyred saints who had asked for vengeance on their persecutors. Remember them? Under the altar. Remember the souls of those under the altar. And what were they praying? They were saying, How long, Lord? How long before you take vengeance on those that killed us? And what were they told? Wait a little while for those who are yet to die, and then their time will come. Remember that? This is that time. Their time has come. Here comes the fourth angel. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, say it with me everybody, swing the sickle, for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. Wow. Don't tell me you were walking across your bedroom and an angel met you and said, hey, because these angels stand over the whole earth with a sickle and swing it and the whole earth is reaped. 
If you encounter a true heavenly angel, you dropping. Now watch this. This is the fulfillment of Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 to 43. This is Jesus speaking. He said, just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will remove from His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Now look at this. This angel with the sickle is going to swing it, and the earth is going to be harvested. And what's going to be harvested? The weeds, the wicked, those who have been leading people into sin, those who have been bringing offense, those who have not walked with God, those who have shunned the cross, shunned the blood, shunned the gospel, they're going to be reaped in a flash. And look what it says will be done. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace. Does that sound like hell to you? These people who say, oh, you know, I just don't know that there's a real hell. If that's not a real hell, the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be what, everybody? Read it with me. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous are going to shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Do you have ears to hear tonight? Those people next to you, those family members, those co-workers that don't know Christ, they're going to be in one harvest or the other. And if they don't know Him when this happens, they're going to be reaped by this angel with the sickle in His hand. Verse 16 shows that first it is the Messiah reaping. The one sitting on the cloud is Messiah Jesus. And then the fifth angel. After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven. And he also had a sharp sickle. And the fifth angel simply appears from the heavenly temple, ready to harvest. He stands there waiting for an order. So the fifth angel is standing by the heavenly temple with a sickle in his hand, and he's waiting for his commands. He's waiting for his orders. And then here comes the sixth angel. Then another angel who had power to destroy with fire came from the altar and he shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle. And what did he say to him? Read it with me. Swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth for they are ripe for judgment. So here's another angel swinging a sickle. Now I want you to notice, let me go back and point out the word fire. He says, for the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment, swing your sickle. And I guess fire wasn't in that one. But the fire over which the sixth angel has power is the fiery wrath of God that is revealed in the end times. The sixth angel instructs the fifth angel to thrust in the sharp sickle. Now what is the vine of the earth? He says, Swing the sickle and reap the vine of the earth. Well, what is the vine of the earth? I believe, and most Bible scholars believe, that this vine of the earth is the false vine. Jesus said in John 15 that he was the true vine by which we are saved. And no doubt, the vine the angel is addressing is the false vine and the false world system, those that are entrapped and ensnared in the world system of the false vine who is the Antichrist. If Jesus was the true vine, then you know this imposter is going to be the false one. 
And if everybody hooked up to Jesus is saved, then everybody hooked up to this guy is damned. And so this false vine is reaped. Now look what it says. When the fifth angel thrusts in his sickle, the Lord Jesus will tread the winepress of divine wrath. The prophet Joel predicted this very thing. Listen to what Joel said in Joel chapter 3, verse 12. Let the nations be called to arms. Let them march to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I, the Lord, will sit to pronounce judgment on them all. Swing the sickle. This is Joel. Swing the sickle. Sound familiar? For the harvest is ripe. Come and tread the grapes, for the wine press is full. The storage vats are overflowing with what, everybody? The wickedness of these people. Joel is talking about these grapes that represent wicked people being treaded down by the wrath of God in the last days. Boy, I'll tell you, what a frightening thought. Thousands, Joel says, upon thousands are waiting in the valley of decision. There the day of the Lord will soon arrive. Now, what does all this mean? I want you to keep in mind that this picture of treading the grapes is Old Testament symbolism. As grapes in the wine press were trodden down by the feet of the workers, you've probably seen this in movies where they have this vat full of grapes and somebody barefooted goes in there and starts treading them down and crushing them all. The Bible says this is what the wrath of God will do with people who have rejected His grace in the last days. They will be, in essence, in a vat, and the wrath of God will tread them down. Joel predicted it. Revelations predicts it. Isaiah, Jeremiah predicted it. It will be the day of God's wrath. And this is something that's occurring to me and moving on me more and more as I study this book of Revelation again, that our God is a God of love, but He's also a God of holiness. And he is a God who will one day pour out wrath. As you know, the Bible says that right now, this very moment, the wrath of God is being poured out on the disobedient. This very moment. And that's where the fear of the Lord comes from. The fear of the Lord is the constant awareness that God is watching and weighing every one of my thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes. You know what the fear of the Lord is? It's the fear of the Lord. Isn't that profound? <laughs> the fear of the Lord is, I better not do that because I know that my God loves me, but he's got a woodshed out back. Thank you. Overwhelming applause here. I'm talking about the wrath of God. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Now, next, we have the first glimpse of the War of Armageddon. Now we're going to look at a whole lot more in chapter 19. But here's the initial description. Notice what's happening. Here you have again an angel in the spiritual world moving, and then in the physical world, the manifestations of what's happening in the spirit arena. The angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great wine press of God's wrath. There's that picture again. The grapes where what, everybody? Say it with me. Trampled in the wine press outside the city. And blood flowed from the wine press in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. 
How does God's wrath, how is it poured out on earth? How are these wicked trampled by the wrath of God? It happens in the war of wars, the mother of all wars, the war of Armageddon. And Armageddon is part of the judgment of God, and God allows the devil to bring this thing about. And while it is very demonic and very bloody and incredible bloodbath, it is the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. The war of Armageddon will be the war of wars. So horrific will be the carnage that the blood will flow like a river up to a horse's bridle four and a half feet deep as far as 200 miles outside the city of Jerusalem. Remember that 200 million man army we talked about and we're going to be talking about again? You take 200 million men, kings of the east, moving across the Euphrates, this clash in the valley of Megiddo that we're going to see in a couple of weeks, this incredible huge clash between almost innumerable armies and peoples is so vicious the bloodbath that flows is four and a half feet high almost 200 miles long Jesus said of that war if those days were not cut short no flesh would live but for the elect's sake I will cut those days short it is that war that almost wipes out humanity that Jesus Christ personally returns to stop. We're headed towards that in a couple of weeks. But let's look now at the seven vials of wrath. Everybody say, oh me. You know, i got to tell you, can I give you this good news? And that's it. Good news is coming. Because in about three weeks, we're going to be looking at the millennial reign of Christ when the lion lays down with the lamb and the devil is locked up in the abyss and there is no more of this. This is, this is the closing end of history as we know it. And it's only proof that what the Bible tells us happened in Genesis, that man fell and his nature became depraved. He fell into sin and came into the clutches and control of the devil. This final picture in the last book of the Bible proves the reality of sin and man's fallen nature. It's proof of it. But look at chapter 15 now in Revelations. Once again, John is taken from this horrific scene, this prelude to the war of Armageddon, to a scene of splendor and beauty as he's transported to heaven. He sees a great sign and a beautiful sea of glass. Verse 1 says, Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. I know what you're thinking. You mean it's not done yet? No. Fourteen down, seven to go. These seven last plagues are what we call the seven bowl judgments. The bowl judgments are the worst of the 21. These last seven are the worst. They bring God's wrath to completion. So we're going to have to go through these. It's not a jump up and shout word. It ought to turn you into an evangelist. So here we have the final seven judgments of God, 21 in all. The word wrath that is being used in these passages is the Greek word thumos. And thumos means hot fury. So when it talks about the wrath of God, God has reached a point where he says, I can't take anymore. Sin has ripened into full maturity. I can no longer allow what's happening on earth 
to go on. He got this way with Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, that's all I can take. And fire fell from heaven and wiped them out, never to be inhabited again. His wrath reached that place in the days of Noah when he said, build a boat. Because the sin of mankind, all they do is violence against one another. They have turned away from me. They no longer listen. There is none righteous, no, not one. I'm bringing my judgment. This is the third time and the last time when God says, that's it. I cannot allow what's happening on earth to happen anymore. John reports in verse 2, I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with blood. Now, glass represented permanence to the ancients. It's the only thing they knew that was permanent. Didn't rust, didn't stain, glass lasted. Fire was representative of something purifying. In this case, it's righteous judgment. So this is what John is seeing, the glass and the fire. He continues, and on it, on this sea, stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast. And look, and his statue and the number representing his name. He's seeing those that gave their lives for Christ and refused the mark of the beast. They are now in heaven. Isn't that glorious? They're in heaven. Now watch what he sees. These are the tribulation saints who have been martyred under the reign of Antichrist. They had refused to worship him, and they refused that mark on the back of their hand or their forehead. John records they were all holding harps. Hallelujah. You say, I'm not taking the mark. You don't take the mark, you get a harp. Don't take the mark, get a harp. That'd be a good slogan, a good bumper sticker for the great tribulation. Don't take the mark, get a harp. They were all holding harps that God had given them. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Moses and the Lamb both represent deliverance and salvation. They sang, and I want us to have a responsive reading here. Can you read it with me? This is their song in heaven after they have been martyred. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Keep reading. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous deeds have been revealed. Powerful. Wouldn't you like to hear that song? Now John says, wow, I'm looking at these people. They survived the mark. They didn't take it. Now they're singing in heaven. He says, after these things I looked and behold, the temple of the testimony of the witness in heaven was opened. What does that mean? The temple of witness is probably where God remembers the death of the martyred tribulation saints. Notice, folks, how personally God takes it when his children are mistreated. Do you notice that here? Notice it. Because he gave them a harp. He has answered their prayer. And are you ready? The wrath, the hot fury about to be poured out on earth is partly an answer to their prayer for vengeance and retribution. God says, you can do a lot of things, but don't lay your hand on my kids. So look what happened. Out of the temple came the seven angels 
having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. These are very elevated angels clad in white and gold, both symbols of purity. They seem to pause in front of the temple. And then one of the four living creatures that we've mentioned so many times in this series gave to the seven angels what? Seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. They're all handed a bowl. In that bowl is Thumas, the hot fury. The four living creatures and the angelic being is called cherubim. And we looked at them in Revelations 4, 6 to 9. What's a cherubim? Silly little thing like the little statues you see in some of the stores where you go and buy little trinkets and little fat-looking little babies? No. Cherubim or cherubs are mighty, high-ranking, angelic beings involved in the worship and the praise of God. As a matter of fact, you will find Satan before he fell as Lucifer had been a cherub. Read about it in Ezekiel 28, 12 to 15. When one of the cherubs handed the seven bowls of judgment to the seven angels, look what happened. He hands the first bowl to one of these angels and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Wow. And people say, I don't think there's a supernatural world. If there's not a supernatural world, John had been eating a lot of peyote. And I don't say that. I'm serious. If there's not a supernatural world, then throw your Bible out. This is so magnificently supernatural. So horrendous are these seven last plagues that the heavenly temple is filled with smoke, closing any access to this heavenly sanctuary. As far as John's view is concerned, until the seven plagues are fulfilled. Revelation 16.1 says, and now we're coming to the end of civilization. This is it. The end of civilization comes with these bowls. Verse 1 of chapter 16 says, Then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. Off they go. In chapter 16, the seven bowls of judgment are divided into groups of four and three. The first four show God working indirectly in judgment using other means like that War of Armageddon. The last three reveal God working directly in such a way that mankind must see the hand of God and God cannot be explained away. When the last three bowls are poured out, there will be no explanation other than this is the hot fury of God. So let's look at a couple of them tonight. In verse 1, seven angels with seven bowls are released from the throne room with the command to pour God's wrath out. The result of the first bowl is, verse 2, so the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth. And look what happened, everybody. Horrible, malignant sores broke out on everyone who had what? Say it. The mark of the beast and who had worshipped his statue. Notice the judgments beginning to fall on those who worshipped antichrist and receive his mark and what is it we would call john's description 
cancers. Is that what it says right there? Or am I reading something different? That's what it says, isn't it? This is what God does. So here you are with the mark of the beast, living in the beast system, and this bowl is poured out. Sores begin to break out. Next comes the second bowl. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. I know I say this every time, but that breaks my heart because I love God's creation. I really do. I got my little bird feeders out back. I've made friends lately with a little rabbit that comes hopping up to me in the morning when I'm reading my Bible. I look at that little guy. I don't want to see judgment fall where he's affected. Thank God we're going to see that God's going to create a brand new thing. That everything in the sea dies. The magnificent whales, the sharks, all marine life. There is a kind of an idea, the blood sea said it looks like blood. All the life begins to wash up on shore, now dead. This is the second bowl. Let's go on. When the second angel pours out his vial on the oceans, those oceans undergo a complete change of chemical composition. Whereas in the earlier trumpet judgment, remember, only a third of the seas were affected. Remember that? Everything happened in thirds. But the ultimate pollution, this last bowl judgment, is the death of the oceans because the earth can't go on without them. And God is going to redo planet Earth. He's going to redo it. So here we go. The ecology is completely destroyed. Next, the third bowl is poured out. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs, the natural waters, the artesian springs, and they became blood. Do you remember Moses? One of the plagues he did, the rivers became blood. This has been done before. It'll be done again. The rivers and springs have now been struck, all turned to blood. As this happens, the angel of the waters proclaims the justice of the judgment. Now here we're seeing God say, I am just in doing this. Let's read it. Since multiplied millions of saints and prophets have shed their blood for the truth through the centuries, I am just in doing this. Verse 5 says, And I heard the angel who had authority over all the waters saying, read it with me, everybody, You are just, O Holy One, who always was, because you have sent these judgments. So what is the angel saying? God, you are just in doing this. And the angel goes on. Since they shed the blood of your holy people, and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink, and it's their reward. Like I said, don't touch God's kids. All right? And I heard a voice from the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and they are just. You're just in doing this. Now let's go on to one more. Next, the ozone layer is depleted. That's why I'm not worried about global warming. Let me tell you something. God's got the ecology in His hands. And global warming is a total farce anyway. Now watch this. The ozone layer is depleted, possibly due to atomic blast. John says, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. No more natural protection from the rays of the sun. 
Scorched is from a Greek word meaning burned like plants, wilting in the heat, withering away. You will be out in the sun, but the ozone's not there. You will wilt like a plant in the heat in August in Texas because there's no more protection. Yet amazingly, in spite of all these catastrophes, ladies and gentlemen, look at this. Men do not repent. Talk about hard-hearted. Look what it says. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat. They're wilting like plants in the summer. And what do they do? They curse the name of God who had control over all these plagues. So that's why I say to you, if God left these folks for a thousand years, they would not repent. It is not in them to repent. Judgment is falling on the same kind of folks it did on Sodom and Gomorrah and the same kind of folks it did in Noah's day. They did not repent of their sins, John says, and turn to God and give Him glory. Can we stand tonight? Well, how many of you can say either amen or oh me? Give the Lord a hand of praise. God is good. And we're going to deal with the last three bowls where people say, this isn't even happening in a way that I can blame it on something else. This is the hand of God judging this world. The last three bowls next time, and then we're going to move on and see some powerful stuff. I'm telling you, the best is yet to come. Don't miss it, because in a couple of weeks, we're going to be dealing with what is forming in our world right now as part of Antichrist system and the political system he will end up using and rise out of. So don't miss it, all right?